Chapter 10 A Subdued Heart We need hearts deadened to all earthly and temporary pleasures. The next thing of which your actual readiness for bonds or death is made is the mortification or deadening of your affections to all earthly influence and pleasures, even the best and sweetest of them. In some measure, until this is done, you are not fit to be used in any such service for the Lord. 2 Timothy 2, verse 21. The living world is the very life of temptations. The travailing pains of death are stronger and sharper on those who are full of sense and self. As you see in nature, strong and lively people suffer such struggles and agonies when they die, but others, in whom nature is decayed and spent beforehand, die away without half that pain, even as a bird in the shell. Corruption in the saints is like sap in the green wood that resists the fire and will not burn well until it is dried up. Prepared Paul had a heart deadened to a very high degree to all the honor and riches of the world, counting them all as trifles. Galatians chapter 6 verse 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 3 through 4. We will consider five reasons that will make clear this need. 1. Unless the heart is mortified to all earthly pleasures, they will appear great and glorious things in your eye and estimation, and if so, think how hard it will be to deny and leave them all in a suffering hour. It is corruption within that puts the luster and glory on things without. It is only the carnal eye that gazes admiringly after them. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 16. And so lust is used to express the affection. 1 John chapter 2 verse 16 because all that inordinate affection we have for them arises from our high estimation of them. That estimation is from our lusts, which represent them as great and glorious. Therefore, it will certainly be difficult, if not impossible, to deny them until they have lost their glory in your eye, and that they will never do until those lusts within you, which put that beauty and necessity on them, are first crucified. For instance, what glory and necessity the pride of men put on the honor and credit of the world, so that they will choose to die rather than outlive it. But to a mortified soul, it is a small matter. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. In the same way, riches are adored until our lusts are mortified, and then they are regarded as dung and dross. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. It is our corruptions that paint and gild over these things. When they are crucified, those things will hold much less value. 2. The mortification of corruptions is what restores a healthy state of soul. Sin is to the soul what disease is to the body, and mortification is to sin what medicine is to a disease. For this reason, those who have mortified theirs just a little are, in a comparative sense, called carnal and babes in respect of weakness. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 1 through 3 Suffering work is some of the Christian's hardest labor and exercise and we cannot be fit for it until our souls are in a healthy state A sickly person cannot carry heavy burdens or endure hard labors and exercise The sick soldier is left behind in his quarters or put into the hospital while his fellow soldiers are dividing the spoils and obtaining glorious victories in the field some expound Romans chapter 8 verse 13 in this sense. Scripture, If ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. 
But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Death is used to note the languishing state of the soul while neglecting mortification, and life is used to express a healthy and comfortable state. This is another reason it is necessary. 3. Our corruptions must be mortified, or they will be raging and violent in the time of temptation, and like a torrent, sweep away all your convictions and resolutions. It is sin within and unmortified that makes the heart like gunpowder. When the sparks of temptation fly about it, and they fall thick in a time of suffering, they but touch and explode. Therefore, the corruption that is in the world is said to be through lust. 2 Peter 1, verse 4. The tempter communicates with these internal unmortified lusts, and these are the traitors that deliver our souls into his hands. 4. Unless you are diligent and successful in this work, even though you should suffer, you will not suffer like Christians. You will disgrace religion and the cause for which you suffer, for it is not just suffering, but suffering as a Christian that reflects credit on religion and finds acceptance with God. If you are envious, fretful, discontented, and revengeful under your suffering, what honor will this bring to Christ? This is not at all like the example of your Lord, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, and the behavior of suffering saints, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. Yet this is how it will be if your pride, passion, and revenge are not first mortified, for the breaking out of such distempers of spirit is as the flushes of heat in the face from a diseased liver. It is certain that all the evils are in your natures, and it is just as certain that they will rise like mud and filth from the bottom of a lake when some notable trials will rake you to the bottom. When nature is troubled, it reveals its true character. 5. Last, mortification must be studied and plied with diligence. If it is not, you will find many longings and cravings for earthly pleasures and comforts that will prove to be a snare to you. What is sin but the corrupt and contaminated appetite of the creature for things that are earthly and sensual, relishing more sweetness and delight in them than in the blessed God? And what is sanctification but the rectifying of these inordinate affections and the placing of them on their proper object? A regenerate and controlled Christian does not taste half the sweetness in forbidden fruits that one who is not does. Set money before Judas, and see how he eagerly grasps at it. What will ye give me, and I will deliver him unto you? Matthew chapter 26, verse 15. Set life, liberty, or any such bait before an unmortified heart, how impotent he is to resist them offered in a temptation. Oh, those unmortified lusts! How they make us crave and long for these things! They make our mouths water, as we say, after these things. This makes people leave prison and avoid sufferings, but on the basest terms. Whereas mortified Christians can see all these things set before them, even offered to them, and refuse them. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. It is for them much as it was for old Barzillai. 2 Samuel chapter 19, verse 35. When nature is dying and decayed, we find little pleasure in natural actions. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1. And as the body of sin decays and languishes, so do these longings. Mortification weans the soul from them 
and enables it to live very comfortably without them. Psalm 131 verse 1, Philippians chapter 4 verse 12. No more needs to be said to make clear the necessity of mortification and reveal the influence it has on a Christian's readiness for suffering. What does remain is for me to expand on some of the principal corruptions you should take pains to mortify before suffering comes. There are four principal pleasures in which you are likely to be tried possessions, name, liberty, and life. And so the Christian work in times of suffering lies in mortifying these four special corruptions the love of the world, ambition, inordinate affection of freedom and pleasure, and excessive love of life. 1. The love of this world. Away with it. Crucify it. Crucify it. Down with the idol and let it be dethroned in all who intend to abide with Christ in the hour of temptation. How else will you bear the spoiling of your goods? How will you be able to part with everything for Christ as these blessed souls did? It grieves my heart to see how many of those who profess Christ are carried captive at the chariot wheels of a bewitching world. Oh, it would have been good if many of those professors had never tasted so much of the sweetness of it. I beg you, for the Lord's sake, lower your estimation of it and lower your affection for it, or temptations will sink you before long. I will offer five or six aids to help you crucify it. 1. Consider your vows to Christ and how you have chosen and professed Him for your Lord and husband. Your doting on the world is then adultery against Christ. James chapter 4, verse 4. If Christ is your husband, He must be a covering to your eyes. An unchaste glance on the world wounds Him. 2. The more you prize the world, the more you will be tormented by it. If you prized and loved it less, it would upset and vex you less. It is our doting on it that makes it draw blood at parting. 3. Learn what Scripture says of the world, and rectify your judgments and affections by it. If you have the true picture and representation of it drawn by the hand of God Himself, 1 John 2, verse 16, you will see it is nothing but a delusive glory that passes away. What has become of those who lived in the world just 100 years ago? What could the world do for them? Have they not all gone down to the sides of the pit? Scripture, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. 1 John 2, verse 17. 4. Study and contemplate Christ and the things above more. This will veil all love of this world's glory and kill it at the root. Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 9. It is as when you gaze on the sun, then take your eye from that bright and glorious creature and look to the earth, and there appears a veil of darkness overspreading the face of it so that you can see nothing. I wonder how those who pretend to live above and enjoy communion with God can ever relish such sweetness in the world or have their hearts enticed and captivated by it. 5. Always remember that by your love and delight in worldly things, you furnish the devil with the best bait he has to catch and destroy your souls. If your hearts were dead to these things, he would not have a handle to catch hold of. What does he have to offer you and tempt you from Christ with except a little money or some other poor fleeting reward? And how little would that soul that looks on it all as dirt be moved by such a temptation? 
Six. Last, take notice of the approaches of eternity. Remember, you are almost at the end of time, and when you come to launch out into that endless ocean, how will these things look then? It seems glorious while you are in the chastened pursuit of it, but on a deathbed, you will catch up with it, and then you will see what a deceitful and vain thing it is. Stand by the beds of the dying and hear how they speak of it. Oh, the difference between our perceptions then and now! So labor to wean off your attachments and crucify them to the world. 2. Mortify your ambition and vain admiration of the repute and credit of the world. Do not stand on so vain a thing as this. Judge it a small thing to be judged of man, to have your names cast out as evil. Do not let mockery and reproaches be such terrible things to you. It is without a doubt a great trial, or else the Holy Spirit would not have added a peculiar epithet to it that is not given to any other of the sufferings of the saints. He does not say cruel tortures, cruel stonings, burnings, or slaying with the sword, but cruel mockings. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 36. But learn to be dead to and unaffected by these things. Value the reproaching world as light and as low as it values you, despising the shame as your master Christ did. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. And to promote its mortification, use these helps. 1. Consider that this is no new or strange thing that has happened to you. The holiest of people have passed through similar, if not worse, trials. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 33, Psalm 44, verse 14. Reproaches have been the lot of the best. They called Athanasius, Sathanasius, Cyprianus, Caprianus, a gatherer of dung. Blessed Paul, a pestilent fellow. Acts chapter 24, verse 5. Sweet Mr. Denley, as he was being burned at the stake, was singing a psalm in the midst of the flames. Dr. Story threw a bundle of sticks at his face and said in jest, I have spoiled a good old song. 2. It may be that religion has been reproached and scoffed at for your sakes. If so, do not think it much to be reproached for religion's sake. 3. It is much better to be reproached by men for performing your duty than by your own conscience for neglecting it. If all is quiet within, never be moved at the noise and clamor without. If you have a good roof over your head, do not be troubled though the winds and storms bluster outside. Take care what you do and pay no attention to what the world says. 1 Peter 4.14 4. Always remember that you neither stand nor fall at the world's judgment. Therefore, you have even less reason to be troubled by it. 1 Corinthians 4.3 If your condition were to be cast to eternity by it, it would be something. 5. As bad as they seem, there is worth and excellency in the reproaches of Christ, and such excellency cannot be matched by any earthly enjoyment. The reproaches of Christ are of more worth than the treasures of Egypt, though Egypt then was the storehouse of the world for treasures. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 26. The apostles counted them their honors. Acts chapter 5 verse 41. When Ludovicus Marsecus, a knight of France, saw those condemned to death with him put in chains, but he was not because of the nobility of his birth, said to the executioner, 
why do you not honor me with a chain too, and make me a knight of that noble order? 6. Last, if mockery and reproaches scare you from Christ and duty, then even though you should escape the reproaches of men, you will fall under the everlasting contempt of God, angels, and good men. Therefore fear ye not the reproach of men, neither be ye afraid of their revilings. For the moth shall eat them up like a garment, and the worm shall eat them like wool. But my righteousness shall be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. Isaiah chapter 51, verses 7-8 through 8. 3. Mortify your inordinate attachment to liberty, pleasure, and delicate living. Do not let a prison seem so formidable to you. It is true, as Christ told Peter, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. John chapter 21, verse 18. You now have the liberty to go where you choose, and it is a precious mercy if taken advantage of. As one said, the birds of the air would rather be lean and hungry in the woods at liberty than in a golden cage with the richest fare. But if God calls you to deny your liberty for Christ, see that you are ready to be bound as Paul was and receive the chain and bonds of Christ with thanksgiving. Consider 1. First, in such cases of restraint, the affliction is more from within than from outside you. There is no place that may not be delectable to you if your heart is heavenly and the presence of God is engaged with you. What a sweet night Jacob had at Bethel, and Paul and Silas had in the stocks. Genesis chapter 28, Acts chapter 16. See that precious letter of Pomponius Algarius. If the presence of Christ once changed a prison into a kind of heaven, what will it do in heaven itself, which even here makes a dungeon like heaven? It is your own unbelief and impatience that gives you more trouble than your physical condition. 2. No jailer can keep the comforter from you if you are the Lord's prisoners. Acts chapter 16. If they could lock out the Spirit from you, prison would be a dismal place indeed, but there the saints frequently have their clearest visions of God and sweetest presence of the Spirit. You are the Lord's freemen while men's prisoners. All the world cannot divest you of the state of liberty Christ has purchased for you. John chapter 8, verse 36. 3. Though a prison looks sad and dismal, it is not hell. Oh, bless God for that, for hell is a sad prison indeed. Beloved, men have their prisons, and God has his. God's prison is a terrible prison. Thousands are now there in chains, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 19, and there you deserved to have been sent long ago. If God exchanges hell for a prison, have you any reason to complain? 4. No matter how relentless and cruel men are to you, the Lord Jesus is kind and tender-hearted to his prisoners. He puts the kindnesses that any show them on his own account. Matthew chapter 25, verse 36. He looks down from heaven to hear the groaning of the prisoner. Psalm 102, verse 20. He will tenderly sympathize with you in all your prison struggles and troubles. 5. Prisons have been inaugurated and perfumed by the best and holiest of men in all ages. 1 Kings chapter 22 verse 27, 
Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 2, Matthew chapter 4 verse 12, Acts chapter 5 verse 18 and chapter 26 verse 10. God has made it a settled school of discipline to them. 6. Should you commit a sin to avoid prison, instead of being man's prisoner, you will be imprisoned by God, for He has a prison for your souls even in this world. Psalm 142 verse 7. This prison is ten thousand times more dreadful than any dungeon in the world. Oh, it is a dark prison. There is nothing to let in the least beam of God's countenance on your poor souls. What a sad exchange you will have made! 7. Consider what a ground of comfort God has laid in His Word to obviate the fears and terrors incident to us in such a condition. Scripture Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Revelation chapter 2 verse 10. God has limited Satan and his instruments, in time, number, and all circumstances of the trial. 8. You do not know what mercy may be in it. It may be a time of retirement from the world and the clamors and distractions that are outside. These days of imprisonment may be your holy days, as a prisoner of Christ once called them. 4. Mortify your heart to the excessive and inordinate love of life. This, I confess, is the highest and hardest point of self-denial, because it wraps up all other self-interests in it. But consider. 1. Though life is very dear, Jesus Christ is ten thousand times dearer than your life. If you are a saint, He is the life of your life and the length of your days, and in comparison to Him and His glory, saints should and have despised and slighted their lives. Luke chapter 14, verse 26, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. 2. You must die at some point. If you shrink from Christ, you may protract a miserable life for a few days longer, but in the meantime, lose that which is better than life. Psalm 63, verse 3, Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. Oh, when you lie on your deathbed, you will wish that you had obeyed God's call and been able to depart in peace. 3. If you have passionately covenanted with Christ, as all sincere believers have done, then you have yielded your lives to Him to be used for His glory. Romans chapter 14, verse 7. Christ both lived and died for you, and you ought to live as Christ. And all the excellency you see in life consists in the reference and subserviency it has to His glory. I say then, if you have understandingly and passionately transacted in a covenant way with Him, you will care not so much about how to shun death as you will about by what death you may most glorify God. John chapter 21, verse 19. And certainly, you can never lay them down on a more honorable and comforting account than in His cause and for His sake. It troubled Luther greatly that he carried his blood to his grave. 4. To die for Christ is one of the highest testimonies of your love for Him that you are capable of. John chapter 13, verse 37. Yes, it is a kind of testimony of your love to the Lord Jesus that even angels are not capable of making. 5. Why should you decline even a violent death for Christ? When the bitterness of death is past, 
There is no hell following the pale horse. It cannot separate you from Christ. Romans chapter 8 verses 38 through 39. 6. Think what a death Christ suffered for you. The fullness of the wrath both of God and man met together, so that he was sore amazed. Mark chapter 14 verse 33. Yet he desired it for your sakes. 7. Think what a life you will have with Christ as soon as this one is delivered up to and for him. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 12. In just a wink you will see God. Oh that these things might provoke you to continue to apply the work of mortification.